Welcome to the Barn Church Podcast. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of confidence. See, the opposite of fear is confidence. And uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse, verse 1. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, we're going to start reading in verse 1, 1 through 6. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray over this word. We ask you to anoint it and that you're, you would make it come alive in our spirit and it would become our watchword is that we live by faith and not by sight. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's the only place in the Bible where you find the definition of faith clearly laid out. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You can't see it. If you can see it, then it doesn't require faith. For by, the, by it the elders have obtained a good testimony, and by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, everything has an origin with the Creator eventually. Everything that you see in the material realm has its origin with God the Creator, some way or another. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through the... the through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dread, uh, dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he, he had his testimony and he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't please God any other way. Listen, you can live the most moral life, you can do everything right in your life, but if you don't have faith, emotion does not move God. You can come up here to this altar and you can bawl and squall and sling snot from one end to the other, but what moves God is when you have faith to take a stand on His promise. That's what gets His attention. That's what moves Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. So, you guys know I've said this a hundred times before and I'm, I, I would love to be able to write my own, uh, my own edition, my own, what is the word I'm looking for, translation of the Bible. And I would only make one change, and that is I would change the word faith to confidence. Now, by faith, it is the, substance, which, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word here for interpreted as substance is hupostios, and it's interpreted as confidence or certainty in all the other places it appears in the New Testament. And some Bible versions interpret the scripture as by faith, now, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Some versions even say, now, faith is the certainty. See, when you have confidence, you're certain. When you have confidence, you're certain. You know how the outcome is going to be. So faith is the certainty. I like this version better. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a perverted 
the word could be interpreted, hupostius, can be interpreted the same. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. We talk about faith in the church so much that we suffer from a thing called, this actually exists in psychology, it's called semantic satiation. Say that ten times real fast. It's basically when you say a word over and over and over again to the point to where you actually forget what it really means. We talk about faith so much in the church, and, and I think what's happened is, is that people have kind of just lost the meaning of what, what faith really is. We've tried it a time or two. We've tried to believe for a breakthrough, and it didn't come, happen. And Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And so uh, most of the time in those situations, we give up right before the breakthrough comes. That's been my experience. But we decide we don't know much about faith. Faith begins to, faith begins to become sort of a, a word that, that emotionally we're not connected to anymore. So... I would change the word to confidence because confidence invokes an emotion. Confidence, for example, I've been in, I, I'm, I'm a, I love to watch uh, the Mavericks play basketball. And I've watched them, and they have superior talent. So I'm just going to fill you women in. So this, I know because I know you don't watch them. They're great. They have, le they have really got really talented players. But what I have always known for a long time, I've been watching them, when they start playing really good teams, they're intimidated by them, and they don't have confidence. Luka Doncic, which is their star guard, which is one of the great players in the history of the NBA, is so in awe of LeBron James. When LeBron James steps on the court, Luka Doncic's confidence just goes right out the window. And you can check me on this. Check his shooting percentage. You check all of his rebounding. You check all of that. It's like he becomes an average player. And it's because he has great confidence when he's playing everybody else. But LeBron James has always been his idol from the time he was growing up. Tells you how old LeBron James is. And so, and so, and so he, when he gets, and LeBron James is not near the player he was a few years ago. But he's aged. Age is catching up with him. But when he steps on the court, you can see Luka Doncic's game just go out the window. He doesn't have confidence. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can have talent. You can have knowledge. You can have skill. You can have all of that stuff. But if you don't have confidence, you can't make it work. Mark Twain said, for you to be successful, you need to have an, an abundance of ignorance and an overabundance of enthusiasm. You, 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 dwell on, you start dwelling on the impossible things, and the more you know about things sometimes, the more you see obstacles to your path, and you think, I can never do this. Listen, sports teams have to have a high level of talent, but they've got to gain confidence. And the way they gain confidence is through overcoming adversity. So this is the part, the three-legged stool of discipleship. This is what, the, this is what the, the Bible teaches, is there are three aspects to becoming a disciple. Number one is encounters with the Holy Spirit. If you're in a dried up dead church, well, hallelujah, stay there if you want to. But you're going to be dead as everybody else over time. Can I get a witness out of somebody? You've got to be where the Spirit of God can move. You have to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You have to have to say, well, I'm saved. I don't, that's, that's irrelevant to me. I don't even know what that term means anymore. What I want to know is, have you, been in, have you been endued with power from on high? Have you been soaked in the Holy Spirit? Have you had that experience where you just become submersed in the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> you have to have encounters with the Holy Spirit, and they will continue. The Emmaus Walk is one of them. 
The second thing you have to have is you have to have implement the, the spiritual disciplines. You have to begin to practice spiritual discipline. <coughs> Excuse me. Word, <coughs> study, <coughs> prayer, fasting, all of them. There's 12 of them. You have to make them a part of your life. And then the third thing, nobody likes this part, is trials. James 1, 2. Consider it joy when you fall into pure trials and tribulations because they bring the perfecting of your patience. And when your patience has been perfected, then you have become perfect. So you have to have the, you've got to play LeBron James. You've got to get on the court with him. I don't care how good you are. And you've got to say, I'm not letting him beat me. I'm going to get through this. Somehow, I'm going to overcome. Now, watch the, watch the same team this year. They have actually beat the Lakers a couple of times. And they beat some pretty tough teams. And they just took out <clears throat> the number two seed in the West because all of a sudden, these talented players, because they got New coach, don't tell anybody. That's part of the problem. they got a coach that knows how to instill their confidence. Now all of a sudden, these players have gone out and won some really tough, tight games with great adversity has gone against them at the very, in the closing minutes, they missed some key shots. They've had great adversity, and they have, they have pressed in, and they beat them anyway. Now they got confidence. And now they're convinced they can beat anybody. Guess what they're doing? They're beating everybody. If you could get that confidence in your life, man, I know guys that know the word front, back, up or down, in and out. But they ain't got no confidence. Because they've been in some... You have to be in a trial and you have to persevere by faith. By your confidence in God and His promises. And that gets... That just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Romans 12.3 says everybody's got a measure of faith. For I say to you through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of you a measure of faith. Whenever you got saved, he poured you a little, little thimble, little glass, small glass, shot glass. It was, it was a shot glass. I don't know if any of you know what a shot glass looks like, but it, it was a small glass and he, and he filled it with faith and he said, here, start with this. And it's up to you to develop it. Okay, And the way you develop it is overcoming difficult trials by what's in the little shot glass. Whoops, that probably didn't work out very good. Don't drink it. Believe it. Hallelujah. That's the way, that's the way your faith grows. And then you overcome. You beat a team in a close game, and you go, wait a minute. This kind of works. I'm getting... I'm, I'm kind of seeing some potential in this. And then you get another challenge, then another challenge. You can't escape the trials. They build your confidence. Hebrews 11, 1 then. Let's revisit it. So this is in my version. Now confidence is the certainty of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And then I would read Hebrews eleven six 6 this way. Without confidence, it's impossible to please God. You've got to be confident in Him. Confident in His promises. And confidence begins with an understanding of authority. This is another teaching of Jesus that we gloss right over because most of the churches in America are not under authority. They've conjured up a man-made authority. And <clears throat> that's why they're having trouble. That's why they're closing up. It's, it's, I don't mean to bash them. I mean, I love them. And they're full of good people. But until you understand the concept of spiritual authority, you're not likely to develop the confidence to see many miracles in your life. And here's the way spiritual authority works. Basically, 
in Matthew chapter 8, the centurion came to Jesus. And the centurion was a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And he came to Jesus, but he knew enough about Jesus to know that he could heal people because he had seen him do it. And so he went to Jesus and he said, my servant is sick and he's at home. And he said, and he needs a healing. And Jesus said, okay, no problem. I'll go there and heal him. And the centurion knew the huge risk that was for Jesus. And so he said, no, don't do that. Because a Jew could never go into the house of a Gentile. And he knew Jesus would just have more problems than he could get around. It's an interesting thing about Jewish laws and customs. In the Blue Blonic Plague, this is sort of anecdotal. Jews were not affected by the Blue Blonic Plague nearly as bad as the rest of the population. And you can say, well, they were God's chosen people, and they were. But the reality is, I mean, the other part of that is, in the natural, is they're, they're very meticulous housekeepers. So you can come into my study in my house, and you know I ain't a Jew. Hallelujah. I mean, Carol's not laughing. That was a joke. I thought it was pretty funny. She don't think it's very funny. They, they are meticulous. And they live the laws that you ever heard your mom say, you know, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness and so on and so forth. That's actually a Jewish tradition and all the washing of hands and, and all that kind of a thing. And so, and so <clears throat> they believed that you went into a Gentile's house, you might not, you, be, not only would you be spiritually contaminated, you'd probably come out of there with some sort of a bug or something, you know. So they, they looked, they, that, was, that was against their law. And so, so the centurion knew that, the, the, uh, that Jesus shouldn't even, but he said this, he said, I, verse 8, <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, <clears throat> Jesus said, I'll go, and, but the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having uh, soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Matthew 8.10 says, and when Jesus heard this, here's what he did. He turned around and looked at the Pharisee, and he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found one so great, of such great confidence, not even in Israel. And he says to the centurion, verse 13, he says, you go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very same hour. So what he's saying is this guy understands the principles of spiritual authority. Listen to me. The only thing that keeps a miracle from happening in your life is all it needs is authorization. Now, there are people in the word tribes of the church, and y'all have heard me teach on this a lot, they say God will not violate his own order. He created the natural order, and he will not violate it. And I say to them, he will when he wants to, because he's sovereign. And a miracle, as you see one sitting back here, a miracle, she was supposed to, she said she was finished, another COVID victim, it was, you know, is over with. And what Bob, when Bob called me, I said, yes, I understand that that's the natural order of events with a person who has COVID that's in her condition. But we're believing that God will alter the natural course of events. We don't deny the medical facts. We, re <clears throat> we believe that if we, be that if we will speak forth and we will pray this and ask God, he will intervene and he will alter the natural order of things. Does this make sense? And then I said, Bob, you believe this? Yes. His voice was kind of shaky. And I said, it's the only thing you got to do. This is what you have to do. You have to believe this. Because when you believe it, it activates. 
because God authorized it. And so here's the word tribes. They say, God's will is sovereign. He don't have to heal anybody. I said, what are you saying? So what he does is he sits up on the throne and, and he's like eating a big turkey leg and he says, I'll heal this one today, but that one there, I don't, I'm not going to heal him. Is he some sort of a tyrant who, who's, who's not in a good mood today so he doesn't heal anybody today? Is that really who you think God is? Yes, God's will is sovereign and here it is by his stripes that you be healed. Come on, somebody. That's the will of God. Well, why don't the will of God manifest in every case? Because not everybody makes agreement with the will of God. Come on. Not everybody creates that environment where that confidence in that authority like the centurion had begins to manifest in the natural. The question we have to ask ourselves is, when we get in those situations, am I living in the will of God? Am I in the will of God? Because if you have a lot of sin issues in your life and you refuse to repent, listen, I love you. Man, I love sinners. Y'all know I'd rather preach to sinners than anybody. They're fun. They have a lot more fun. They really do in church. They're fun. Because when you've been set free, you really know how to worship. You get a bunch of, bunch of religious people that think they've got it made and they're perfect, and God, I can't stand to worship with them because they, like, they act like something wrong with you if you start getting loud when you're singing. Bill would drive them nuts. They would run like rats running off a ship if you let Bill lead worship in there. Because people that have been saved from their sin are joyful. They love much. And that's why they worship much. And so you, 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 your question is, where are you in the will of God? And if you have dealt with issues in your life, and you've turned your life over to God, then you have everything eligible. You, you can get to have that confidence to activate that word. James 4.3 says, you ask not. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. Man, if you just want... If young men, if, if, you're, if you're a teenage boy and you're praying for God to get you a date with Beyonce, look, that ain't going to... That's not... That's sometimes I hear prayers from people and I'm calling... There's so much flesh in that prayer. I mean, you know, what do you want God to do with that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you've got to be spiritually mature enough to know that, that God wants to bless you so you can do something for people. That means that, that you have, what it, that you can be a blessing, that you can, you, can, you know, in this, this is a time we're living in where the God's number one problem in this season is a, is a lack of stewards. There's not enough stewards to steward what God is trying to bring provision into the church because the church is going to need to take care of a lot of people. And, and, and everybody, I, heard, I heard a guy that I really admire in ministry. He's been a successful minister on the West Coast, but he bashes the prosperity gospel all the time. And, and, you know, and he says, you know, God ain't about money. And I go, well, look, if you figure out a way to operate a big ministry without any money, let me know. I'm just being honest. And how does God, and God says, I'm shaking everything that can be shaken. The silver and gold is coming back into my house. Well, how's that going to happen? Is, is it going to be a cloud and it's going to dump it out on the driveway out there? No. He's coming back in through your ministry of your business. God needs stewards who are, and the stewards that he's looking for, the money don't mean anything to them. I tell everybody all the time, if you've been spend, if you go to Emmaus and you spend three days with God, when you leave there, money ain't going to mean nothing to you. But you have an obligation and you have a gift, and you have a talent, and you have a calling in this season to, to, to use your gift to maximum effect. 
I get criticized because they say, you talk about that too much. Let me tell you, we're in that season. We're in that season where God needs his stewards to rise up because we, there's a, how many of you believe there's a monumental shift afoot in the world? It's the product of the shaking. And so he needs, he needs people who have the right heart about it to steward things and to, and to bring them to practice their gifts, to have faith and know that it's the will of God that we bring the provision into the house of God so we can take care of those who have need, that they have confidence with what God is doing. And if you, if you just go around telling everybody all the time, money's not evil, it's the love of money that's evil. And I have found, man, the greatest stewards I know, the greatest Christian stewards I know that have built magnificent businesses, employed thousands and thousands of people, helped the church, supported the church, those dudes don't love money. They love people. And they love Jesus. I don't know how I got off on this. I guess somebody out there needed to hear it because y'all got it down. It's just the fact that God is in the season where you need to have confidence, not in, <clears throat> you look around, you turn the news on, the fear mongers, the prophets of Baal, they sell fear, that's what they do. And you listen to those guys, and I listen to them anyhow because I like to study what they're thinking. They're so lost in what God, they don't have no clue what God is doing here. They just know that everything they put all their faith in, everything they believed in is like deteriorating right before them. This is a good time to call on the name of Jesus. Amen. But to those that believe in the name of Jesus, this is an important season for them to have confidence in what God's doing. The confidence principle. So this is the thing that I learned about this, this, this my experience this week, past couple of weeks. The confidence principle applies to everything. It's not just, you know, we, we make it too spiritual sometimes. It applies to everything. I don't know whose water this is, but I'm drinking. <clears throat> If it's Bill's, maybe I'll start being sing, be able to sing like him. Amen. I'll get another hit off that. So, so I started. I I got convicted. You know, I lost my dad on June, April the fourth, and and he, <clears throat> my dad's always been a real physical guy, and, and towards the last part of his life, <clears throat> he didn't he didn't really take very good care of himself. He just was active, but during the last part of his life that not taking care of himself started kind of catching up with him. In fact, he got to where he couldn't walk there towards the end, and he used to be, he used to walk every day. So I kind of got convicted, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a spring chicken, but I got, you know, no help, depending on what spring you're talking about, I guess, I mean, but uh, I kind of need to start taking care of myself, so I, I wanted to start, so I started with my back. I've had a bad back for years. The top of my right foot is numb, has been for 15 years because I've just pinched off my sciatic nerve so bad, and I have back trouble from now. Again, I get locked down. Uh, Dylan makes fun of me, he can tell. When I've got my walking stick, I'm not Moses. I'm having back trouble, he knows. And so <clears throat> I found, this is cool, so I didn't want to pay a chiropractor, so I found if I could go to Walmart and get one of their shopping carts and lean over it, I could walk around Walmart, and my back would be back in place by the time I got ready to pay out. So uh, then I noticed that Carol started coming up for reasons to me to go to Walmart for my back, you know, and I thought, this ain't working because this is turning into, I don't want to shop, you know. I just want to ride the car or drive the car around. But, so I, I have a good friend, Dr. Shane Hand. A lot of you guys know him, and he's a found chiropractor. He's a great believer in God and, and, a, and a real student of healing. And so I said, I'm going to go to him. And, and he's been working on Mandy and, and Dylan both. 
uh, they go to him every week. So <clears throat> I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to make the time. I'm going to go. So I went to see him. He took x-rays uh, of me and stuff. And you should see my hips are like, you know, it's just a joke. It's like terrible. So, and <clears throat> so he showed me. He says, so you're way, you know, off. And he said, this is not going to, we're not going to fix this over time. I mean, uh, it's going to take time. And so here's what we're going to do. And he explained it to me. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he laid hands on me and he prayed for me. Well, I know the brother's prayer. I mean, I know I've listened. Uh, this guy, this guy is like, I just love for him to pray over me. And he prays over me every time I go. But my confidence shot up in what he's doing. And so <clears throat> I started going and I go, he adjusted me there, and he says, now come to Friona every Wednesday. I go once a week. I go in there. I plop down 15 minutes. He lays hands on me and prays over me, tells me about a new revelation he got on, on, on healing or something. We have a brief discussion because he's got a list of people. I can't, we can't talk long. I've got to get out of there. And I'm just here to tell you that over time, I have, I have tremendous confidence. And so, so I told him this. I said, I have confidence in you. I have confidence in, in what God has shown you, and I have confidence that God is using you. And he said, well, that's good, because he said, I work on some people, and they never get better. And I said, what do you mean they never get better? Don't they know you're, you're awesome? He said, they don't believe. They don't have confidence. They don't have confidence in what I'm doing. You have confidence, so therefore... And even my sinuses, this is crazy. He has, a, he, has a, he has a map thing, and he shows where all of your, all of your nerves go in and out of, you know, between various lumbar, and one of them controls your sinus passages and all that. He, mine are even better. I, man, I mean, I might be Superman the time he gets through with me. Hallelujah. Amen? I mean, I feel young again, almost, kind of, some days. It takes me a little while to get going anymore. But, but my point is, is that, is that he showed me that if you don't join confidence with the, with the ambulatory things, with the work you're doing in your area of your health, you don't get any results. And so <clears throat> you can actually have the same treatment from the same guy with the same prayers and all of that, and if you don't have confidence in it, in the treatment. So see, we don't think about this. Well, I got confidence in God. Well, do you have confidence in the minister that he sent, the doctor he sent to minister to you? No, well, wait a minute. That's not, yeah, that's part of the process. Right. And if you don't have confidence in that, and that's what I saw in my dad, he lost confidence in the doctors. And when he lost confidence in the doctors, it was over. Of course, you got to know my dad, for, you know, I mean, like he said, it's over. I'm not, I'm done with those guys. They don't know. And so, so it's a dangerous thing when you lose confidence in something in your life, you need to make a change. If you listen, let me ask you this. If you lose confidence in your boss at work, how are you going to do? You lose confidence in your kids telling you the truth? How's that going to go? See, confidence is such an important thing in your life, in so many areas of your life. Come on, somebody. And you have to, have to get results. You've got to be confident. So, so, I, so then I said, okay, well, I'm going to get my knee fixed. I go see my doctor that I have confidence in because he's the dude that worked on Carol. And she tore a rotator cuff, went to see him. It was recommended by people that know him. He's a great, great orthopedic surgeon. So we went to see the guy. Busy. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, he's so busy. We went in to see him. He took an x-ray. Our MRI of our deal. This is what we've got to do. This is going to be hard. You're going to have to do all the ambulatory stuff. You're going to have to do all the therapy. You're going to have to do everything. This is the hardest surgery there is to get over. And so <clears throat> you're going to have to do it. And so 
He, but he was awesome. And before he operated on her, he came in and laid hands on her, and he prayed, God, you're the healer. Here's, I found the guy that's going to do my knee right there. And so he does the surgery. It's a bad tear. She's in there twice as long as she's supposed to be. He comes out to talk to me, and he says, she tore that up really bad. And he said, if she tears that, it's over. There'll be nothing else to sew to. I had to put two anchors in there. So he said, listen to me. He said, so here's a spiritual man. This is a spiritual guy. And he, and he believes in the power of healing. And he's an instrument of God's healing. But here's what he said to me. You do exactly what we tell you to do. You do the exercises exactly the way they tell you to do them. You be very careful. And, very, and, you do, and we did and she did. And that's her long suit. Let me tell you, Carol, when you give her, you give her a thing she has to do, she had a dog one time that had an eye ulcer, and it was a, the dog meant a lot to her, meant a lot to all of us, kind of our family pet, and was actually a, a gift from a, a church congregant that was in our church then, and this was a real serious eye condition, and we ended up taking this dog to a, a dog canine ophthalmologist in Albuquerque. And so <laughs> this guy said, he says, he examines the dog's eye, and he says, this this is really serious. This dog has a very serious separation. And, and he said, so normally we do surgery to correct that. And I go, what does that cost? He said, about $4,500. I said, is that all? Can we do something else? Can we try something else? Well, you can try to doctor it, but he, he said, you, you have to, every two hours, you have to put this drop in, you know, and then that one and this one, you have to keep a regimen up and you got you to gotta do all this stuff. Very few people can make that work, but you can try if you want to. I said, we're going to try, glory to God. We're going to believe and we're going to try. So, so we brought the dog home and Carol doctored that dog like on a clock, religiously, exactly like, you know, the dog, used, you know, she got where she would see the eyedropper and she would run to the other side of the house, you know. So, so, but she did everything exactly like the doctor said. And we laid hands on that dog. You don't think, well, the, man, you tell me God will heal a dog. Well, he created the dog. If he created the dog, he can heal the dog. Now, I've seen God heal horses. I've seen miracles. And so we laid hands on that dog, and we put the dress. She did it, just took that. When we took that dog, little dog, back for his exam, and he looked, in the, he looked through his little scope thing. He put on his head, and he looked in the dog's eye. This is after the little dog. was a little corgi. picked a fight with a, with a wolf, half wolf and half husky, out in, the, out in the lobby. I'm going, dog, you know, I got too much money in you for you to die in the lobby. You better... St- Get your manners fixed. We got the dog in there. He looked through the little thing and says, Holy cow, didn't he? He says, And I thought, Oh God, after all this, we're still going to have to spend the 4500 you know? And he says, This dog's eye is miraculous. And I said, Well. And so Carol's motto on physical healing is this. Prayer, believing prayer coupled with expert counsel, coupled with diligence, do what they tell you to do. Do the ambulatory thing. Do whatever it is they tell you to do to recover. And we did all of that. And so, <clears throat> so I'm telling you that long story to say, to say that, that, so they send me to this knee guy, and, and he says, you've got to do the physical therapy first. Medicare requirement. Oh, it's government. A government rule. 
Like that's going to help anybody. Come on, somebody. You know what you thought when you heard it. It's a Medicare requirement. And I thought, this is just more stupid government stuff, but I got to do it to get them to pay for the surgery. So they got me. So I'm going to do it. But I had no confidence in it. I had no faith in it. I'm going to go through the motions so I can get to the surgery and get the doctor that I have confidence in to, to fix my knee because God led me to him, and so everything is going to be cool. So <clears throat> I started going to the physical therapy thing and heard from wonderful people, and my physical therapist happens to be here, sitting back there on the back row. So I'm, I'm going to brag on her a little bit. So she said, listen, this will strengthen your knee, and it will actually help your alignment of your knee. And if you get the joint aligned, it does, and I started saying, you know, that kind of makes sense. And she said, this is really important for you to learn how to do this. And she began to teach me the exercises and what to do. Guess what? My knee started feeling better. But it wouldn't have felt better if I didn't develop some confidence in what we were trying to do. And so my last day, I'm in the, they put me in the tank and dropped me down in the water. And, and uh, <clears throat> I was afraid they were going to drown me the first day. But I realized that it'll only go down so far, so I was okay. I can hold my head up. But anyway, I got a hold of the thing, and she had me like walking, and we started talking, and she said, what are you going to preach about? And I said, you know what? I'm going to start preaching about the aspect of healing. You have to do the work. You, everybody wants a miracle. So, so let's, this takes me to this point. So, so there are two Greek words interpreted as healing. Therapio, therapio is, is the root of our word therapy, and in Matthew 4, 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel and the kingdom, and healing, therapuyo, all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. So healing, so this is, and I learned this from Dr. Shane. He told me, healing, this is a process. This is a healing process. So, so Jesus would touch them, and he would initiate a process, and they would begin to get better. It's not instantaneous. It was a process. Now, in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, whenever the, the guy, the crippled guy at the gate beautiful, who, who Peter and John came up on, who had been lame from his birth, and everybody in town knew it, and they went up and they, he, was, he, was, he would go there and beg for money, and they would say, you know, silver and gold have I none, what I have I give you, rise and walk in the name of Christ Jesus. And then he started walking, and they got arrested for that miracle because the Pharisees said, what are you guys doing? You're causing a big commotion. They brought him before the Pharisees, and they said, and they started to, 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 to examine the whole situation. And it says in Acts 4.22, they couldn't do anything to him, for the man was over 40 years old in whom the miracle of the healing had been performed. And their word for healing there is eoxyx. And it means a sudden, instant kind of a healing. In verse 14 says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing next to them, they could say nothing against it. What are they going to say? He's standing. Everybody in the whole town knows this guy has been there ever since he was a kid. And he's standing there standing up. What are they going to do about that? So there's two kinds of healings. There's a supernatural, instantaneous you know, spontaneous, and I believe in that, and I've seen that, and that's absolutely awesome. But I find that most of the time that it's more like the therapy thing where God authorizes you to get better, now get to work. That's the part we don't want. Because Cruz will work you out. She'll have you sweating by the time you get out of there. Amen? But you know what? She showed me the importance of believing in the treatment. I don't know if this is making any sense to you. 
I've always been wanting God, just zap me, God. I don't want to go to the physical. I don't want to have to work hard. I just want to, like, I just want to, I want to some, and, and the truth of the matter is, it's a lot of times, a lot of times people steal the glory from God with these therapy kind of healings because, you know, they give it the credit to the therapist or, and, and they're all good. So here's what I've, I've learned about this in this process. They're all instruments. I told God when I made this knee journey, I said, lead me to the right doctor, to the right nurses, take control over this process. He led me to a spirit-filled doctor, to a spirit-filled therapist. We shared, we talked about her, her love for the Lord and the things the Lord had done in her life. And, and I, I got more and more confident. I may go back to physical therapy and pay for it myself. Hallelujah. I mean, no, I don't want to get too crazy here. But, but the point is, is that as Christians, as spirit-filled believing Christians, we really are too high on this zap me and turn me from a frog into a prince thing. There's some ambulatory work. There's some effort that we have to put into it. And we gotta, and we're, we're like, we got to be like the Dallas Mavericks football, basketball team. we got to believe that it's going to work we got to believe we're going to win in the end. we got to believe we're going to get better, or we don't. Cruz and I talked about that a lot. If our attitude, I don't know if this is a big revelation for me, but y'all don't act like, I guess y'all had already figured this out a long time ago, and I'm just now catching up. Hallelujah. Healing requires confidence. You've got to believe in the power of the prayer that you're praying. You've got to believe in the expert counsel that you've been given. And if you've not been given the right counsel, if a doctor takes credit for your healing, get you another one. But if they are an instrument of God, my brother, when we went to Austin for his condition, and they found that condition, and we were both counted down, and the surgeon came in and said, this is divine intervention. If we'd have cut him open in this condition, he'd have bled to death right there on the table. I told him when she left, I said, we got the right surgeon. She believes in divine intervention. Expert counsel. You've got to have diligent, diligent effort on your part and confidence in all of these things. So what are the things in your life as we come to take communion? What are the things in your life that you think somehow or another the devil has been successful in stealing your confidence? You had lost confidence in that bay mare. And I don't blame you. I lost confidence in her too. But then you came back and tried something else. And now your confidence in her is starting to grow and it shows when you show her. You cannot win on a horse that you don't have confidence in. Come on, somebody. Is this helping anybody? So in our life, I hope you find a great therapist like Cruz if you have an injury and they're awesome. I want to say something about the Hereford Hospital. The rest of it could fall in the ocean for all I could hear about, but the physical theory part of it, they're absolutely dynamic. They're awesome. Those, those, they, they, they help Carol rehab. Another thing about Carol is, is that she had no pain. She's still like in the Hall of Fame in the doctor's office. They have her picture right up there as people come in, ask her how good of surgeons we are. No, but, but, but the doctor says, I just love it to come give you an exam because you're the only... Rotator cuff surgery patient I've ever had that had zero pain. How's, is that a miracle? He'll tell you it's a miracle. I believe in miracles, but I believe i got to do my part. That's all I have to say. So as we come to receive communion as a church family, I want you to examine your life this week. 
What are the areas of my life that I've lost confidence in? And figure out what happened. Back up. Figure out where the devil stole that. Amen. If you need therapy, ask for Cruz. It won't do you any good, but you ask for her anyway. She's awesome. They're all good, but she's really good. You need good you need good doctors, you need good nurses, you need all that, but you need Jesus first. Now, here's what I found, and I'm gonna stop with this. If you got confidence in God, it's easy to have confidence in the things around God. If you don't have confidence in God, it's hard to believe you're gonna overcome sickness. It's hard to believe you're gonna overcome illness or bankruptcy or whatever it is you're facing. But if you have confidence in Jesus and you believe he's leading you to the people that can help you, then follow him. 